you fucking leave me alone. <laughs> I'm white and I've got everything I need. No one clutches their purses when they're in a room alone with me. And I can drive for any neighborhood I please. At any hour, and the police don't do a thing. So if I see a penny on the ground, I leave it alone and fucking flip it. I'm a straight white male in America. I got everything I need. I'm a guy getting paid more than a girl with a degree. And I can walk down the streets after dark, no one wants to rape me. And I can get a girl pregnant, and just as easily flee. Just like my straight white male dad did to me. So if I see a penny on the ground, I leave it alone and fucking flip it. I'm a straight white male in America. I've got all the luck I need. Got a pile of broken mirrors and I'm walking under ladders And I'm spilling tons of salt But to me that doesn't matter Cause my skin and my gender and my orientation Are the best things to have if you live in this nation I recommend it highly So if I see a penny on the ground I leave it alone and fucking flip it I'm a straight white male in America I've got all the luck I need Shit's gonna work out for me Cause I'm a straight white male in America I've got all the luck I need Everybody, welcome to the Intellectual Dollar Tree. We do the show live every Wednesday, 7 p.m. Pacific, right here on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia. Uh, thanks, podcast listeners. The show does pretty well on the podcast apps. And, uh, I don't know, support us. Go to echoplexmedia.com, click the support tab, and help us out. I'm Producer Dave. You can find me in many places, uh, including uh, Grinder and uh, port87.social. And I'm HK Perrin. You can find me at hparin at port87.social. So no K in that version. Uh, and uh, you can also find me on GitHub also at hparin, in case you want to see my code. Everyone's a critic these days. I don't know. Do you want people to see your code? Actually, that's that's not even a problem, though. If somebody's like, hey, there's this thing wrong with your code, you're like, hey, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Give me a pull request. I will I will take your code <laughs> if it's good. <laughs> All right, so I, I'm not even fucking kidding you. The thing we're watching today is called A Conversation So Intense It Might Transcend Space and Time with uh, Jordy Pete and John Vervacki. John Vervacki famously was one of the people on that famous episode of David, the David Fuller show where uh, the other one, Jonathan Peugeot, said, uh, oh, I believe in real demons. They're like, oh, you're speaking metaphorically. And he's like, no, physical demons. He's that dude's <laughs> no, best actual friend. physical, really there demons. <laughs> he's that dude's he's They're besties. They're fucking besties. <laughs> so anyway, here's a conversation. I don't even know what time it is. I don't know how we both knew to show up here. And I didn't even know. Are we in the same universe? <laughs> Let's see. Let's see what's going on with this conversation. Isn't it so great that we can have this conversation about Hello. them having a conversation? What is that suit? 
Oh my god. <laughs> it's corduroy on the inside. <laughs> I think those are Elon Musk on the tie. <laughs> Is it? I think you're right. <laughs> What the fuck is that? <laughs> fucking Willy Wonka ass motherfucker. Hello, everyone watching and listening on YouTube. <laughs> there was some company that made him a bunch of ridiculous suits I'm recently. Here today in person. So that's nice. some of them are actually pretty nice. Dr. John Verveke. <laughs> this one is he's not a professor at the University of Toronto. <laughs> yeah, see, he's wearing it right. Corduroy on the outside. Oh, so this Verveke guy is also at the University of Toronto. The University of Toronto not sending us their best. <laughs> on how you look at it. Um, our work has run in parallel for a long time, probably 20 years, maybe longer than that. And we had a lot of students at the University of Toronto in common. And we've had a lot of discussions on YouTube. How many of those students asked for their fucking money back? Uh, John and I are both interested <laughs> in this issue of the issue of relevance realization, which is a, a very abstract way of pointing to something extremely fundamental, which is the fact that certain things announce themselves to your perception as primary. Things attract your attention and attract your focus. And that's a great mystery. It's an immense mystery. It might be the immense mystery in some real sense. And so John has made a tremendous amount of progress on that front using sources different than the ones that I've relied on. And so that's made our conversations from- Yeah, he talks to people who believe in demons. Extremely interesting because <laughs> we're trying to address the same problem which is really the problem of meaning, whatever meaning is. But he draws on- and the shoes, no, no. Are distinct from those that I've drawn on. And so our conversations are reproductive because of that. Uh, I like the shoes. Uh, I would wear those shoes. A brief bio of Maybe they just look bad because of the rest of the fit. Maybe if he was just wearing like jeans and a t-shirt, those shoes would look fine. Yeah. Somebody in chat yeah, is like, sure. sorry, not beautiful. <laughs> of John and his work, and then we're going to jump right into the topics at hand because there's lots to talk about on this front. So John Verveke is an associate professor in cognitive psychology and cognitive science at the University of Toronto. His work, as I alluded to, constructs a bridge between science and spirituality, which we'll talk about, in order to understand the experience of meaningfulness and the cultivation of wisdom so as to afford awakening from the meaning crisis. And the meaning crisis is a phrase that John's popularized and that many of you may be familiar with. So, welcome. Good to see you. It's, it's good so to nice see you to too. Again. Person with You're you. looking great. You're well, looking thank you. Chat wants Jordy Pete to get up and like do the do the fucking uh, do like maybe a can can or something. Sir, it's yeah. my Twitter suit. Honestly, it <laughs> so, um, it looks like a suit for a child. Well, the pants aren't long enough. That's for sure. I wanted to start. I'm going to jump right into this. <laughs> please, there's some please. very complicated and essential issues that I want to talk to you about. I talked with Carl Friston a while back, and for those of you watching, Friston is one of the world's premier neuroscientists, and he's very interested in categorization and AI. Do the Charleston. He said something to me that was extremely illuminating, and I think it's related to your notion. No, nah, he should do the Carlton. True line, mm -hmm. and also oneness, because um, one of the questions John's interested in, by the way, is, what is it that allows us to presume that any given thing is one thing, especially yes. when it's made out of parts? And what does it mean for two things to be similar or identical, given that they're separate? Yeah, yeah, and so, yeah. what? All of this is lurking in the Sesame question. Street. Like they would be like, one of these things is not like the others. Two of these <laughs> things are kind of the same. That's what they're doing right here. <laughs> That's such a. I mean, if you want to be like. 
ridiculously pedantic, then you could say the only thing that is one thing is elementary particles. Right. Right. right but then you can't it, divide them any further. But then it makes it like really difficult to discuss anything. Yeah. Then you're like, hey, do you have like, uh, like quadrillions and quadrillions of particles in the shape of a computer mouse that I can borrow. <laughs> <laughs> Do you mean you want a mouse? No, I don't believe in things. I only believe in elementary particles. So Friston is very interested in the use of cognitive categories to constrain entropy. Probably way more than so quadrillions too. I, I don't know how many it's, uh, elementary particles make up a computer mouse. Um, and I've always construed entropy uh well regulation and constraint as constraint of negative emotion but mm -hmm. he pointed out to me that it's importantly associated with positive emotion mm -hmm. so yeah that makes a, sense to me there's a huge neuropsychological literature that indicates that you experience positive emotion when you see yourself moving towards a valued goal mm -hmm. that's what the dopaminergic tract responds yes. to yes and he, or if you do cocaine he, pointed out that that's also entropy reduction. Mm. Because entropy, which is disorder, in some sense, and this is something I'd figured out a while ago but hadn't associated with positive emotion, entropy is something like path length to a destination. Mm. And so if you see the path lengths, path length what? shrink. I'm getting the feeling he's gonna bust out like a pin and a toilet paper roll. <laughs> I'm getting the feeling he doesn't know what entropy is. Be a little pedantic, HK. What's a just a quick? What is quickly? What is entropy? Um, entropy is is essentially uh, a measurement of. I mean, people say it's a measurement of like disorder, right? "Quote unquote disorder." Uh, and entropy essentially means like uh, when something has the ability to do work. Once you do the work, uh that moves energy around the system and creates uh, a system that has more entropy. Uh, am, am I right? Is it more entropy or less entropy? What is it? Entropy always increases or decreases? I can't remember. But anyway, um, the universe as a whole, more entropy. Okay, yeah. Uh, the universe as a whole if it is a closed system, and we don't know whether it's a closed system, uh, the, the energy in the universe as a whole is becoming more and more spread out, uh, and less and less of it has the ability to do work. So, uh, as a whole, the entropy of the universe, only if it is a closed system, is increasing. Uh, any closed system, any completely closed system, entropy will increase over time until you get essentially equilibrium. And at that point, nothing can do any work within the system. So in other words, it would be like, uh, I'm defenseless against that kind of female insanity. <laughs> Which means you're getting closer yeah, to your yeah, destination. Yeah. You're reducing entropy. Yeah, yes. But that reduction, which is an advance, right, a, a pragmatic advance, is actually signaled by the positive emotion system. Mm -hmm. So the negative emotion sig system signals an explosion of entropy, mm -hmm. which might be part of combinatorial explosion and yeah. part of... Uh, what does that mean? An explosion of entropy? What does that mean? Perceived in 
I don't I think this conversation is in fact transcending space time insofar as so insofar as it doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> My god. My god. What, what, what does that mean? Frame problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Perceived yes, in yes, a multitude yes. of ways. Yeah. So that accounts for negative emotion. But to construe positive emotion as a response to a decrease in entropy that's associated with voluntary action struck me as well. It's another form of unification, right? Because yeah. it brings both emotional channels under the rubric of entropy reduction, mm. and so that relates them as well to a very fundamental physical reality. Insofar as entropy is a physical reality. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, first of all, uh, I've not, I haven't met Carl Friston. I've worked with a, a lot of his students, um, and I've, I have met and talked with Andy Clark. Um, um, but uh, for me, just before we get into the content, what, what Carl Friston is doing represents the big picture cognitive science that I think we need. What I, uh, the attempt to give, get a synoptic integration. Like he thinks of it as a unifying framework yeah. across many different sub-disciplines. Uh, and so I see one of the jobs of, of cognitive science is overcoming the fragmentation within psychology and then overcoming the fragmentation between the various mind disciplines like psychology, AI, neuroscience. Right. Yeah. And his work is doing that. And uh, that is the kind of work I aspire uh, to doing as well. Um, so first of all, wait—is is, is AI technically a mind science? I think AI is a computer science. Uh, yes, you are correct. AI is a computer science, and only uh, in so far as like AI is a field of computer science. Right, but it's not a mind science because they're not like examining a mind. They're correct. The, essentially, it's yeah. trying to get a computer or system of computers to try to mimic the the mind in some way um yeah in its sense of like pattern recognition essentially I think that's really important i would argue it's also ai draws really funny pictures of jordan peterson the soul cause <laughs> i would think i would argue it. you go into that uh that that dolly mini and tell it to tell it to uh draw you pictures of jordan peterson cleaning his room and it's pretty funny contributing factor to the replication <laughs> crisis is the fact that we're overprivileging over innovation as opposed to integration in psychology. So what we're getting is we're getting uh, these very narrow, very uh, almost effect-specialized, I have a theory about this effect, I have a theory about this mm -hmm, effect, mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and, and, and so the, 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 the controlled uh, theoretical framework- Is JP managing to follow to this guy? Because sure I'm not. These, the constructs are plausible, they're clear. I think what he's doing is saying that like when people, and I could be wrong because I'm not sure that I'm following either, but if I was going to give like a generous interpretation of what he was saying, I'd say that he's saying that people in the cognitive sciences are trying to have like a theory of one thing that's going on or trying to have like, I don't even think he's, he probably means a hypothesis, right? Because a theory is something completely flushed out. A hypothesis. He think he means a hypothesis, and I think what he's okay. going to say here is that we need like a like a grand unified theory of everything for the mind, uh, a geometric mind unity, so to speak. I think that's where <laughs> he's going, and I think he may be the one to bust out the toilet paper roll and the uh, the bobby pin or whatever it is this time. <laughs> Maybe they both bust out competing toilet paper rolls. 
or that you the, they're intelligible they're intelligible you don't have mm. you know the jingle jangle problem in psychology get rid of all of that kind of thing and so i think that that kind of work is by the way never bring a toilet right? paper roll also, to a wrapping good work, paper it's careful, it's uh, tube rigorous. fight you know i i work we he has a student um, uh, Mark Miller, who's also one of my former students, and I work a lot with Mark. Um, he actually got a huge CERT grant to come to Toronto, and we're going to work together on a lot of this stuff. And Mark has been one of the people, in fact, just to bring it back around, who has been really trying to integrate the predictive processing framework with affect. Right, 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 so, right. Yeah, right. Well, yeah. there's the, yeah, well, it's very, so that, because it isn't obvious that the AI models, for example, experience anything that you might consider akin to emotion. But if you can relate negative emotion to an explosion of potential pathways I think. and relate positive emotion to a reduction, then you're starting to make a very tight connection between information processing and emotional experience, let's say, or, or at least the meaning of emotional experience. Right, and, but that's where his work and my work... What is he talking about? Uh, because... <clears throat> a way if, if you're able, if you're able to relate positive emotions to fewer pathways forward, what the fuck does that mean? It might be he might be poorly referencing that my paradox of choice, maybe. But again, I think I feel like I'm being overly generous in my interpretation of what the fuck he's talking about. Right? <laughs> if I'm happy and I know it, I don't have to clap my hands. But you should. <laughs> okay it's it, it's not the rules but you know it's it's the polite thing to do <laughs> i do want to get back to the theme of you know a shared grammar between cognition and reality yeah, yeah. but but first <clears throat> you know a psychological way of understanding uh, that uh, uh the 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 affect is around the, the notion of uh, basically surprise reduction so the idea right, right. right the idea is the brain is trying to um uh, predict. I, I would argue a better term is anticipation, but we can come back to that. The, the brain is trying to predict the world um, because the more it can predict the world, the more adaptive capacity it has to be proactive. It's very easy. It's much better to avoid the tiger than to confront the tiger, uh, the, right? <clears throat> and then the thing about that is, is you note, when, when, you, like, when I first say this to my students, I start, oh, so you, the brain is this massively recursive system for reducing surprise. <clears throat> a lot of them will say, but I like surprises. Mm -hmm. And you go, yeah, that's right. And then, and so then you start to get this question about... Well, doesn't it well, kind of depend what the surprise is? <laughs> like, surprise uh, fruitcake is not good. <laughs> but a surprise weed yeah. brownie, depending upon, like, if, you know, if you don't have anything to do, that could be a great surprise. A surprise car crash is also not good. But surprise, here's a Ferrari. It's for you. <laughs> I would hope you would sell such a monstrosity and, and do something useful with the fucking money. Surprise kidney stone. Not great. <laughs> well, you want to reduce, you want to reduce surprise, right? But it's not sort of absolute reduction mm -hmm. or like the rate. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and then you're playing the rates at, at different longitudinal mm -hmm. scales. Yeah. So I might like the short-term surprise for my birthday party because it's a long-term predictor of stable relationships. You heard him. He wants a surprise so kidney stone for his birthday party. Right. The uh, ability to predict the environment goes up because all of these people have done all of this intricate work yeah. to surprise me at the party. So 
I just want to make it clear because it, people easily get this confused with he's just proposing some simplistic, just, you know, just make, just reduce surprise yeah. across the board. So then Ooh. you get this very... It's accidental surprise in some sense. It, it, and, and, and I know that's not a complete uh, solution to the problem either because some accidental surprises are positive, but yeah. we were I mean, much If it was purposeful, then it wouldn't be a surprise, right? And then well, if, somebody, if I surprise you on purpose, it's a surprise to you, but not to me. <laughs> but I think he means to the person receiving the surprise, it's an accidental surprise. But like, what other option is there? I was accidentally like I surprised by the cat. I mean, what does that mean? <laughs> like, I, I guess, okay, I guess if like, if I get really drunk, I could surprise myself the next day with something. Probably not something good. Like a, a massive headache and the inability to get out of bed. Yeah. <clears throat> or surprise I'm vomiting. <laughs> <laughs> or surprise you vomited last night and not in the toilet. Uh, oh. <laughs> there's a there's a rate problem there that's proportionate to something like depth and that's associated with the phenomenon of meaning as well. Yes. So so let me take uh, um Frith's argument apart a little bit more. Because I, I asked him a very specific question. So I asked him if he thought that basic perceptual categories were micro-narratives, hmm. right? So because one of, the, one of the places that you're working micro on- Micro-narratives. Is in our observation that the very categories of perception that make themselves manifest to us aren't simple objects. No. Right? No. That's where you bring in the Neoplatonic yeah. teleology. Agent arena relationship. Right, right. And so is a chair a chair or is a chair a narrative? Are past I don't know. I've meant you ever seen that remember Pee Wee's Playhouse? That chair he could talk, so <laughs> that chair was a narrative. <laughs> Didn't really spin any interesting stories though. It just said dumb stuff, but it, it was a show for little <laughs> kids. So I mean I, I feel like he's going back to that that ridiculous point about like do we consider objects objects just because they're made out of smaller things like yes we do and if you don't want to like you're perfectly free to but that's not useful to anyone for anything i mean obviously like knowing that things can break apart is useful but like considering them to be separate objects like if i if i pick up my keyboard here this keyboard is a keyboard. I don't, if I'm asking someone to go get this from the other room, I don't say, Hey, can you grab the keyboard and all of the keys that are attached to the keyboard and the PCB that's inside of the keyboard and the screws that are holding the keyboard together? No, it's just a, it's, it's an object. What if somebody brought it to you one key at a time? Jordan Peterson would do that. He would 100% he'd do that. He'd bring like the first screw and then the second screw and eventually he'd bring the case. I've increased <laughs> the entropy. He'd peel the traces off the P PCB. I've increased the entropy. <laughs> now you have to fucking put it back together. You shouldn't have said that about me on your show, asshole. <laughs> Patterns that have functional utility and the functional utility is construed in relationship to a goal and of course then that brings up the question of what should the goal yes, be yes this keyboard works because it's like it, it's a keyboard so, because it 
does the There's job of a keyboard. If it didn't do the job the of the keyboard, it would either be a broken keyboard or it wouldn't be a keyboard at all. To presume that what we see in the world are this is not a keyboard. We yeah. derive meaning. We impose a meaning on top of that, and that isn't how it works. Is that Jordan Peterson is learning like the very basics of like how to tell objects apart from each other. I feel like most of us learn this when we're like one and a half. This is this Sharpie a keyboard because I can make letters with it. <laughs> can you make letters on the screen of your computer and don't answer that? Cause I know you can, I can, but I'm not actually, I have one of these displays. I really kind of want to replace anyway. I could be like, oh crap. I drew, I drew there a mustache on keyboard. Jordy Pete right now on the screen. And now it's, I guess I have to go buy a new display. <laughs> Fuck. If it has the narrative of a keyboard, it must be a keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> Now I'm imagining George, Jordan Peterson with like the like the um, like one of those French guy mustaches. If they're like a bad guy in a movie where they're like twirling the uh, twirling the ends of their mustache and, and speaking in a French accent, <laughs> are tools that we use in relationship to goals, and some yeah. of those can be described objectively, but that isn't the essence of perception itself. Uh, no, I agree, I, I, and if you get. So if you look at the even the history of the psychology of uh, this isn't a keyboard because I don't perceive there, it as a keyboard. Sort of I perceive it as a butt plug. That this isn't a keyboard because I don't know how to type. <laughs> and if you want to fish it out of my ass, maybe you can type on it. But for me, it's a butt plug. Through it, point to exactly what you're talking about. That really sort of started to come into question. I would probably use a 68% early if I was going to do that with it. Certainly not a 108 key with the 10 key. Um, <laughs> concepts are just lists of features. Yeah, right. Lists of features. Yeah. And that the primary function of a concept is to label the world and describe it. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that's, that's turned both of those, which are sort of often... Uh, uh, it, it, it's interesting because when you ask people what they think concepts are, that's what they tell you. You bet, you yeah, bet. They, they, there's features, there's a list. Yeah, Two yeah, things are identical if yeah, they yeah, share the same list yeah, of yeah, features. Yeah, yeah. It's no, 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 no. They're not identical if they share a list of features. That's stupid. There are things that are different that if you limit the set of features you're going to ask about, you could be like, if you're like color and approximate size, well, they're all kind of shit that's not the same thing that's approximately the same color and approximately the same size. <laughs> yep. Like, how like many if you features? take two cars that are both the like a a a, a Civic and a, a a Corolla that are approximately the same size and color, they're still not identical. Yeah, like even even two things two things that are that like most people would consider identical, it it just depends on what you mean by identical. And he knows this. He has to know this. He has to know that. That word has multiple definitions. He has to. There's no way he could become an old man without picking that up somewhere along the way. I can't believe that. To be fair, at one point they did remove his brain and put it in a fucking sous vide machine. <laughs> All right, good point. I think, yeah. uh, but that's not how they actually do the categorization because that yeah. won't give you categorization. Yeah. Right, and so the uh, and Friston's work points to a fundamental, and it, it belongs to a much broader uh, framework about no, no, what concepts are is their generative models. They they are a structural, functional organization of features that allow us to predict 
and explain how things are going to behave. Mm -hmm. Especially the other thing that's kind of weird here is they're talking about like they're like, well, John Vervaki is talking about a word that we all know what it means and we don't really have to spend a lot of time defining it to have any kind of conversation. Yeah. And by the way, that was that's the first time he's given like a a reasonable definition. Like that's the first smart thing either of them have said. And it came fifteen minutes into the video. And we're we're grading on a curve as far as saying a smart thing here. <laughs> True. <laughs> that's the first thing that I would agree with and I would say is well put with relationship to us um, right so and then what you and that's the pragmatism element right and the, the functional element exactly and so you get different a, a much different notion of similarity mm -hmm. so instead of thinking of uh here's these two feature lists and then you get goodman's problem of what goes on the features and how do you select, right, right 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 and all that stuff i've talked about here's another idea let's say i have these two generative models and, and could i how many steps can i go back where I can trace them back to a common shared generative model. It's like an evolutionary. Mm -hmm. So if, if two things are similar, if they have an ancestor generative model that is close to them, and they're dissimilar if you have to go through a lot of transformations to get them back to a shared generative model. So we're judging... I, I thought of that actually, a variant of that as a way of determining whether something was real. You know, well, can you imagine two me measurement methods yes. that are similar or different? You might say, well, what makes them? You want to measure the same thing in as many different ways as you can to calibrate its reality. Yes. But then you run into the thorny problem of what makes two measurement systems different. And one of the answers to that, on the conceptual uh, level at least, is distance evolutionarily. Yes. Like there might be a domain of measurement that emerged in in physics and a domain of measurement that emerged in psychology. And so they don't share a lot of underlying axiomatic presuppositions. Exactly. And if you bring both of them to bear on the problem and they report the same pattern, then you can be reasonably sure that that pattern exists independent of your projection. Of and course. It, and it's kind of what your senses do too, right? Because you have five senses and they're really qualitatively different. False. Like vision, I mean, you have, you have way more senses than five. Right. I mean, we talk about the, the five senses because it's like, it's, you learn about the five senses in elementary school because it's simple. It's a simplified thing to like introduce kids to the concept of what senses are. Yeah. But like, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. I can close my eyes and I can take my hands and place them very close together without touching each other. And the only way I can do that is because I have a sense called proprioception that tells me where my limbs are in space. And if I didn't have that sense, I would either be like this far apart or they'd just smack into each other. Uh, but like there's that, there's like the sense of thirst, there's the sense of hunger, there's the sense of needing to take a shit. Arguably the sense of touch includes things like there's a sense of heat, there's a sense of cold, there's a sense of pressure. Like you have tons of different senses. And yeah, Jordan Peterson is, uh, he should know that. He's an old man. He should know use, these things. Uh, it's not triangulation. I guess it's quintangulation <laughs> yeah, yeah. to zero in on patterns to see if they're uh, replicable across all the sensory domains. And, and that's also a, a form of, of what would you call analysis by, by optimally different measurement systems. Okay, but that's not what we call it. I, you just made that up.
<laughs> you could see in real time he and that's okay if you like <clears throat> coin a phrase to describe something but you don't say that's what we call and then search for like the words for the thing because like that's what we call would usually mean you're describing something you've heard of before not something that you're trying to come up with words for anyway i hate <clears throat> actually I, I hate when other people do what uh, i just did um and and yes if if something agrees with your idea of how a thing should feel, should taste, should look like, uh, yeah, it's probably that thing, but not always. And then, and then that is when what's real fun is where it, it, most of your senses agree about what something is, but then one sense is like, that's not that thing. Okay, and then and then that and we call that optical illusion. Well, and work we call it illusions, but help to supply the missing normativity. Optical, if it's vision. The problem with pragmatism is they had this very nebulous concept of utility, uh, which was very hard to 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 get any sort yeah. of uh, you know normative guidance. But what you just described, this goes towards uh, a lot of the literature. Uh, I, I'm sort of punning here. That's converging on the notion of plausibility. Now, there's two senses of plausibility. One is just a synonym for highly probable. But another is when we invoke things like, say... Plausible doesn't mean highly probable. Plausible is like between possible and probable. It's not the other side of probable from possible. Yeah, I would say plausible is even not very far from possible. Right. Like, doesn't it essentially mean possible? It means, I think it means like possible with an added layer of, I could see it happening. You know what I'm saying? Plausible involves, I think it involves your sense of your ability to observe reality more, maybe, or your ability to understand reality more than just possible. Because possible is just like, if you were, if I was to say, oh, so this such and such a thing is mathematically possible versus such and such a thing is mathematically plausible. I think the the plausible is just closer to probable, but I okay. but pl- plausible isn't on the other side of probable from possible. That it's it's definitely yeah. somewhere between the two, right? <laughs> yeah, it goes possible, plausible, probable. Not like <laughs> unless there's just another kind of plausibility that means highly probable, but that's weird because that would be very confusing. <laughs> You know, it's like a do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, re, do. And it's like, well, why is there, a, is it the other do? I don't know. Never mind. Good sense. Well, that's yeah. to reason. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. Yeah. Th- those kinds of judgments. <clears throat> and what it's turning out is what you're getting in plausibility is it, it, plausi- half of plausibility is that. Like, like you said, when you have convergence from many different and they converge to the same source. And, and the reason what, that gives you what Nesher calls, sorry, Resher calls um, uh, trustworthiness. Yeah. Because the chance, so if I have just one what information the fuck? channel, my, my, the chance that my conclusion is being affected by bias in the system is significant. Right. But if I have a, a multiple converging ones, yeah. the chance of them sharing all of those biases is very low. Very low. Yeah, and it probably decreases exponentially as the number. This is such a meaningless conversation. I feel like, you know, we all know these things. Like what they're describing is like stuff you you pick up on by the time you're like eight, right? This isn't even like a stoned dorm room conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
Like, yeah, if if just Timmy said it, it's maybe it's true, but you don't know. If Timmy and Johnny and Sarah and Pete and 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 Vicky all said it, then yeah, it's probably more true than just if Timmy said it. And somewhere plausible, more plausible true, but might it's more likely if, to be true. Might just be if if Timmy and Sarah said it, right? Yeah, but I don't even like, know. Yes, I think we all know these again, things. I, these are very <laughs> introductory concepts to being a human being. And again, I think plausible has more to do with who who's observing and and making the assessment and what they like know about the world than it does with like the like amount or preponderance of evidence. At least like the way it's used, sort of. <laughs> The way it's used um, colloquially, at least, I don't know. You know, I'm not. We're not going to bust out a definition here, but I know that they're. I know that what they're saying, to the extent that that what they're saying is saying anything, it's wrong, and the rest of it is they're not really saying anything, except for that one time the guy <laughs> said the guy described the idea, the concept of a concept, which I think he yeah. described that accurately, <laughs> but just took a very long time to do it. Yep. <laughs> To, to assess the reality of a given phenomenon increases. Right, but you hit a law of diminishing returns right, at some point. Right, right, right. So at some point... You know, I've yet to hear uh, anything that I think would even come close to transcending space and time. Three. Uh, well, three or four. It's like, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Sort of the working memory capacity kind of... Maybe I haven't even heard a- anything so far that transcends, like, fourth grade. Maybe they both had like a like a benzodiazepine pan- panko crusted filet mignon before this conversation, and they just both think that during the conversation they're actually transcending space and time. <laughs> right, but, but that's not not all you want for plausibility. You also want the thing here to have that structural functional organization. You want it to not just be a feature list. You want it to be a generative model, things that can predict counterfactuals. Because what you want that construct also to do is you want it to be able to to go in to many different domains and find... See, I feel like this is where the toilet paper roll would be useful. So it it has convergence. So that would be multi... But like, why? Why does does the thing that you're trying to discover have to be applicable to multiple domains? What's wrong with it being applicable to exactly one domain? There aren't a lot of things that are useful to like average people in their day to day life that are like that. I don't suppose, but that doesn't mean that that yeah that, you, what, that what you're saying is is wrong. Of course, things can be applicable to just one domain. Like you write code, a lot of the stuff like what you write is fucking garbledygook. If you're yeah. try if I'm trying to read it like it's a fucking Mark Twain novel or something, right? It's applicable to exactly one domain. Like I have I have like knowledge in my head that's applicable literally to only me, like just me it's like how to use a library that i wrote specifically for me it's like that knowledge is not applicable to anything else right but again like i just said the code is is a great example it's applicable in one domain because you can't read it if you don't know what the fuck if you're not if you're if you don't have at least (laughs) some kind of base knowledge in the programming language it's in yeah and if you're if you're reading code for fun uh well then you're probably me yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll say negative things about that when I have a different co-host on to make them laugh. Yeah. Right, right. So, yeah. So that would be utility across a broad range of potential applications. That's right. That, that makes a nice tool, right? Is that you can use it for more than one thing. So, you know, uh, you know, uh, force equals mass times acceleration. You can use it for talking about whales floating in the water. You can use it for talking about, you know, uh, planets circling a sun. You can use it to talk about bullets. Right. right. So, no, but you're still talking about the same thing. You're just you're just like replacing a whale with a planet. 
you're still talking about the same thing. It's like if I throw a baseball <laughs> or a frog, I've still thrown something and it's fucking th- those laws are still going to apply, except it's really mean to throw a frog and don't throw a frog. Correct. Unless I guess if it's dead, it's OK. Yeah, but then, then you're just weird and people won't want to yeah. hang out with you. What'd you do? Why I are just you went, throwing went dead around frogs and threw, around? threw some dead frogs today. And they're like, <laughs> well, this is a weird cocktail party, but at least Jordan Peterson isn't here. I guess I'll stay situational generality <laughs> right so mm-hmm. and and so and then the, the the third thing you want is you want balance right um and 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 so if i give you a, a tremendous amount of convergence to something that has very little elegance well that's trivial right you don't right. say it's false you say it's tr- right right you, well and that's and that's actually the fate of most facts and this is p- related to this problem in psychology i mean i feel like what he just easy. described applies to this conversation <laughs> right like yes, we all know these concepts, and you're talking about trivial things. <laughs> this is all very trivial. Yeah, this is this is great. This is like the most underwhelming conversation. Like in comparison with what it was titled, there's some chance that he's making <laughs> yeah. fun of himself in this guy, and that he's finally become self-aware, and that he's going to start being funny in six months. But I think that that's not very likely. <laughs> Oh my god, if this if if this is like a Poe and he's actually just trolling us, god that would be so good. That would be so good. I mean, it's a lot of lead up for the punchline. I mean, yeah, but it would be fucking hilarious. I would love it. If he just came out and was like like dropped like the way he talks and just kind of talked like a normal Canadian guy and is like this has all been a joke, eh? Thanks for all the money, eh? <laughs> yeah. And it was like I hope you guys had fun making fun of this whole conversation. It was all a joke. <laughs> I'd be uh, like, in oh, goddamn, he got us. <laughs> to the social sciences is that our method of movement forward is incremental fact gathering. Yeah. But the problem with that is that there's an infinite number of facts. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. There probably are. And if, hmm. if, you, if, you, if you accept that the universe, at least as far as our ability to observe things, was functionally infinite, right? Even if there's like a fucking mm-hmm. like a like ice wall, like the flat earth, like somewhere like way out past where we can see with even our best equipment, there are, the, the fucking universe is still functionally um, infinite for us, b- just based on what we can perceive. And so, yeah, therefore, I guess there are an infinite number of facts. You're like, is there a planet here? No. Is there a planet here? No. Is there a planet here? No. Is there, you know, <laughs> is this empty space? Yes. Is this empty space? Yes. Is this empty space? Yes. Is this empty? <laughs> yeah. Yes. There, you know, you, there are infinite numbers of facts. But that doesn't mean that that doesn't really make it harder to figure anything out. Because all you need is like <laughs> yeah. the facts that you need to know to figure something out. It doesn't matter how many other facts are there. And if you, you learn something that isn't related to what you're trying to figure out on the way, that could come in handy later, too. <laughs> and, you know, if I'm if I'm if I have like some fact that I need to figure out that's immediately uh, necessary, to, like if I'm. If I'm like, am I drinking wine or am I drinking lighter fluid? You know, whether a planet exists in some coordinate way off in space, I'm not really going to worry about that. Right. Unless unless the wine would have come from that planet. But that's like, we're not there yet. By the way, the answer is neither. Ah. Relevant. And so without (laughs) these unifying theories, then you can't, you can't integrate across the facts in any coherent manner and you just get you just get the endless generation of 
well, valid in some sense, but pointless facts. Right, and that's, that, that goes to the point we were talking about with, with Friston's work yeah. about generating... Wait, th- I think that some of what they're saying is they might be valid, but they're pointless. There's a lot of valid but pointless facts happening here. I think they're really, really referring back to their own conversation in a way that I don't think either of these people understand at all. <laughs> it, yeah, they're being very self-referential, whether they're doing that on purpose. I don't, th- I don't think they have a, I don't think they've <laughs> gathered enough facts to figure out that they're talking about their own conversation at this point. <laughs> that bring all the things together and you're getting a generative model rather than just a feature list of facts. Right, right. And then, but you also, like I said, you, you get triviality. You also get the reverse. If I have very little trustworthiness, but the promise of a lot of elegance, that's when we think of something as far-fetched. Like if you just believe that the, oh, that's the, Elon Musk. the British monarchy are lizard peoples from space, look at all the things I can explain. And so you get that, you can get far-fetched. But that's not far-fetched. That's like an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory, you idiot. <laughs> uh, but what, what he described is, is uh, Elon Musk. He is, he is very far-fetched. And you, you know, he comes up with these like fanciful ideas about like, uh, you know, he'll, like the fucking Hyperloop. Hyperloop was such a fanciful idea and it was like, it was so easily debunkable, so easily proven to be like obviously not going to work, not going to be cost effective in any sort of way at all. And it turned out to be uh, like, here, drive this electric car in a tunnel where if anything bad happens, you're going <laughs> to die because there's only one lane. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> and that wasn't, that's not even like, like he didn't even build a Hyperloop. Like right. the, the concept of a vacuum tunnel is so, so different than what he did build and ultimately became the Hyperloop. Attention. And this is that's some, where the conspiracy theories the in conspiracy some sense theory. make themselves manifest. That's exactly right. When they're true. Right. He Wait, built what, a the shitty trail? metro, is what he built. Bailey and, and, and Wait a what did Jordy Peterson say? Conspiracy here? theories and get far-fetchedness, right? And you, if you actually pay attention, and this is that's some, where the conspiracy theories, the conspiracy in some sense, theory. make themselves manifest. That's exactly right. When they're true, right? And then you get well, it, no, those are just conspiracies. What? Then it's no longer a conspiracy theory. <laughs> if it's true, maybe somebody going to jail if it was a criminal conspiracy. Like nobody, yeah, that's that's just. A conspiracy, yeah. Like we don't like like if someone if someone goes to jail for conspiracy to cri- commit murder, we don't call the prosecutor a conspiracy theorist, <laughs> right? Like they proved a conspiracy, so there you go. You can also equivocate. You can do Mott and Bailey and, and uh, a lot of things where you like you 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 seem to be doing this, but you're actually equivocating, like a deepity. Uh, so mm-hmm. then, you know, oh, like, self-referential like, shit again, a deepity. Oh, like a deepity, sir. <laughs> you don't you're, you you don't say a deepity. <laughs> I would argue nothing that they've said is is a deepity so far. Like it's all been like, aside from the points where they were being very vague and I think it was on purpose, like the things that they've said that weren't vague were like not deep at all. And I don't even think they were meant to be deep. They were just like very simplistic ideas. Okay. On the graphic side, that is highly convergent, but it's absolutely trivial. Who cares? Mm -hmm. But then you think that 
they're they're not talking people about people definitely need props right the, you think they're talking about the concept of love so you equivocate and you and then you think something important is being said about this phenomena that ramifies for your whole life so you've got convergence to a triviality that then equivocates to something that's profound that would promise but there's nothing being said when you say love is a portal mm-hmm. like how could how when you say love is a what? Proving that love is an in, like how how is that sort of proving that love is an inconsequential phenomenon? Of course not, but it sounds so you can get all kinds. Like, <clears throat> how bad would it be for me to just eat my microphone right now on on stream? <laughs> like, would it be bad? Would I die? Uh, like, eat the windscreen or no, eat the, the the whole thing? Uh, you wouldn't die, but you'd have a really bad night. This, I'm trying to show that the way the plausibility machinery just gets misused and misled <laughs> pervasively in our culture. Mm-hmm. So you want that balance. Oh no, buy gold. <laughs> Can I even buy gold? Is gold an object? What am I really buying? Well, again, these are ads where you don't, <laughs> you buy gold, right? And then they don't send you any gold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> buy the idea of gold. No, I th- these it's it's where you buy it, and they're like, oh, we'll hold on to it for you. Yeah, here's a, here's an NFT for your your gold, which we well, definitely have. Right? Yeah, they just send you a certificate saying that you have an ounce of gold in our secure facility or whatever. It's like when you were y- younger or whatever <laughs> and trying to get pot, and it's like, oh, give me give me ten bucks, and my friend will actually come around the corner and give you the weed. That's the that's the, that's this. <laughs> that's 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 yeah, what they're you doing wait with the here. Gold. Stand, stand in this bucket so he knows that it's you. <laughs> That's another form of, of triangulation in some sense. Yes, yes. So it, I wanted to explain to everybody who's listening a little bit more about this idea of entropy just so that sure. it can be made more understandable. So imagine... Oh, you oh, did please. such a good job the first time. <laughs> yeah, please. Yeah, it's just chaos. It's like chaos in a system. It's like disorder in a system. There, you're done. Move on to the next fucking crazy thing you're going to talk about. <laughs> you're, you're driving to work. And uh, you're in your car, and your car isn't bothering you. You're not attending to your car, apart from the fact that you have to drive it. And the reason that you're not attending to your car is because it's performing its proper function as a car in relationship to your goal, which means that it is moving you down the road reliably. I would be terrified to get into a vehicle with Jordan Peterson, even if he wasn't (laughs) driving. I'm following so far. I'm in a car. I'm driving to work. Now, imagine what happens in your imagination when your car stops, let's say it stops on a busy highway. Now, what's happening? Oh, is it a Tesla? Path length to your Did I do it on purpose? And to also other multiple potential destinations has now become indeterminately large. So, and then imagine that the search space opens up. And so like now you're off to the side of the road with your car. Well, your first set of problems- Okay, so he means my car is broken down. Yes. Not just that it came to a stop. My right. car breaks down on the side of the road. And he is, I think he has suggested earlier that maybe you're not paying attention to it. And by that, I I guess it means you're not maintaining it. And and thus it broke down. Um, I would argue I'm not maintaining it because I'm currently driving it. Right. But I mean, no, I mean, more broadly, you're not maintaining it. I think that's what he was saying. Again, I don't know for sure. Um. I mean, either way, I'm not maintaining it because I'm currently driving. It's impossible to maintain a car that you're currently driving. A is now messed up. How are you going to get to work? 
right? So you have to compute a whole variety of potential paths. Probably an Uber. Just in relationship to your day. You could have taken the train. I mean, get my car towed back home and and taken Uber to work. You could have taken the train. Or borrow, like, my wife's car. Or or you could have taken the train to work and, like, avoided all this. Then if the train broke down, somebody will fix it. This is not, like, he, he said that he was describing entropy with this example. And literally nothing of this has had anything to do with entropy. Uh, I mean, arguably, you could say, like, burning gasoline is increasing entropy. Uh, so, like, sure, you, you could say that, you know, doing that act, you're increasing entropy. But, you know, that's like saying, like, like doing anything is increasing entropy. You know, using the coffee maker is increasing entropy. And I think he's trying to say that, like, it increases entropy in the system when your car breaks down because you can't get to work. But that's just that's just a frustrating event that happened to you. That's not like like if anyone if anyone uses this example to try to understand entropy, they will have a worse idea of what entropy is than if they just didn't know at all what entropy was. And then, well, you have the broader problem of the fact that your car is now no longer a car. It's a useless hmm? chunk of metal that you're trapped in in a dangerous situation. No, it's still I a car. I would disagree. I would really disagree. Um, <laughs> like, it might be a useless piece of metal that I'm trapped in uh, at, at the moment, but that doesn't mean that it's not a car. A car can be a useless piece of metal that you're trapped in. Right. You don't say, I don't know what this thing is anymore, but I need a tow truck because this thing broke down and I'm not sure what it is anymore. Tow truck driver. Listen, it's a, oh man, I don't even know how to, how do I describe this thing now? (laughs) Yeah. Hey, hey, uh, so I need you to come tow this piece of metal that I'm in. I was in a car. I was driving down the highway in a car and all of a sudden my car disappeared completely. And now I'm trapped in a piece of metal and I need you to come get me. <laughs> the tow truck driver would be like, uh, I, I need to send help, but not a tow truck. <laughs> yeah. Like, let me, let me stop and pick up a psychiatrist along the way. We'll and try and get you no some help. How to fix it. And maybe you have no idea where to take it. And so the collapse. The mechan- what do you mean? You have- Everyone knows where to take a car when it's broken down. You take it to the mechanic, the shop. Maybe you don't know which one to take it to, but you could like ask a friend maybe who has a similar car to you or whatever. You go, hey, uh, my car broke down. Um, where do you take your car to get worked on? Now you know where to take it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God, there's no one in the world who is like who who is driving down the highway and their car stops and they think, I don't even know what this object that I'm sitting in is and I have no idea what to do in this situation at all. <laughs> Right. There's no person alive that thinks that. Right. They're like, shit, my car broke down. Fuck, how much is this going to cost to fix? And by saying, fuck, how much is this going to cost to fix? It implies that they already know where they're going to take it. It's like, Yeah. Or if it's like, if, if you just decide it's not even worth it, then you, it's not like you call the, the, the dump and you're like, hey, can you like, can I drop off a large piece of metal? No, everyone would say, hey, can I drop off a dead car? Like, no, but to, we can... For you to take this 
dead car. And they would say, no, we can refer to you, you to a wrecking yard. And then you would show up at the wrecking yard. and You'd be like, what are all these things in the wrecking yard? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they look like they might have once been something that I knew what they were, but I just can't fucking. F- hey, man, what were all these things? Dude looks at you and goes. These are broken down cars. <laughs> Please leave her. Like, I'm calling did the you police. Have smoke. <laughs> like you could, you could even have like an interesting conversation. There, there is an interesting conversation here of like, at what point once you've like, once you have, once your car breaks down and you've decided I'm not going to fix it and you take it to the wrecking yard, at what point in that wrecking yard process does it become not a car anymore? Like when they squish it into a little cube is that not a car anymore when they when they melt all all of it down and turn it into something like a a big molten blob is that not a car anymore like that's where i would say it becomes not a car i think if i think if more than half of its components have been removed maybe it's not a car anymore yeah it's like the shell of a car the frame of a car yeah then it i don't know fucking like but i don't want to have a fucking slightly i don't want to have the same conversation they're having that's like fucking not what we need to be doing right now (laughs) but like there there even is an interesting conversation that could be had on this topic and they're refusing to talk about anything interesting instead they're like as soon as my car runs out of gas i i don't even consider it a car anymore (laughs) right what if it wasn't even broken down what if it was just what if it just didn't have gas (laughs) goal has exposed you to entropy and entropy is the multiplication of the problems that now beset you and category collapse does that and so category collapse if you you understand i ran out of gas and my car collapsed into a non-car punk of metal function in relationship to a goal you start to understand something very fundamental about categories themselves because everything you see in the world has this nature it's it's a unity of form, which is something that the empiricists can concentrate on, but it's a unity of form in relationship to a goal, and that's built right into the perception of the so-called object itself. And so... Um, I mean, it might be in relationship to a goal, but I would say, like, a star doesn't have a goal. And just, like... Just, like... I have some fucking trash on the desk here. I mean, I guess it's in relationship to a goal that I should probably clean my desk, but otherwise, like the tra- <laughs> the tra- there's no goal from the for the trash being on my desk. Like, like he's being very like human centric in in this conversation because, like, you know, the Earth doesn't have a goal, right? Uh, like a a rock doesn't have a goal. Right, a goal. In fact, I would maybe a tree doesn't even have a goal because it's not conscious, even though its properties are such that it appears to be trying to reproduce. It's actually not trying to reproduce. Right, a tree just by its very nature does what it needs to do to reproduce. So I don't think a fucking plant yeah. has a goal either, because a goal is and something to that you same have to extent. Be, like a the coronavirus doesn't have a goal. Right, you have to be self aware to have a goal. Yeah is constraining entropy by organizing the world into categories that are functionally relevant to goals that you... Uh, so that, that you is not what entropy is. Either explicitly no. or even more this is This is like a, a really bad misinterpretation of entropy, of that word. The word entropy uh, in no way m- means like disorder in the way that like humans think about it. 
like let's say so like my my room here is kind of disordered right now there's a lot of clutter on this desk over here that doesn't mean that my room has more entropy than when i come in and clean it up like that's not what entropy means uh if i were to burn all this stuff the room would be cleaner to a certain extent i mean it would be like full like plastic vapors but the the entropy of the room would have increased not decreased <laughs> implicitly and category collapse produces this increase in entropy now you feel positive emotion when you see yourself moving towards a valued goal and you feel negative emotion when some uncertainty with relationship to that goal has manifested itself or when you encounter uh, say a determinate obstacle that you have to walk around and so that's part of the way that to go back to an earlier section of this discussion that you can relate emotion to both cognition and categorization. So this issue of entropy reduction is crucially important because it's, well, it's at the basis of categorization itself. Now, the reason My camera is good, but it's not that good. You can't actually see particles of my brain leaking out my right ear as I try to listen to this. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, to be clear, entropy, uh, at least to my understanding, the best definition of entropy is uh, the lower entropy there is, the more a system is in a state that it can do work. Uh, and higher entropy would put a system into a state where it cannot do work. And by work, I mean like exerting energy uh, to to cause like like movement or heat or something i'd asked uh friston about categories as micro narratives is because i was very curious i'm very curious and and this is probably more relevant to your work on spirituality uh oh so one of the things you point out in the recent lecture you did for ralston college is that even the perception of a given object is dependent on some sense of oneness. Yes. And so Piaget was very interested in this. It's like, well, why is this one thing? Yes. Right, because it's not there, you know. Now it's... Yep. Now it's <laughs> and things don't have to be contiguous to be... I mean, that happens to everybody, right. though. Right, right. And right. so the question is, what constitutes the oneness of the thing, mm -hmm. given that it's... It's just like, okay... It sounds like a Scientology video now. Oneness and beingness and havingness <laughs> and... This sounds like Scientology TV. I mean, it's such a dumb question. Like, the answer is that we consider it one thing, period, the end. That's the only reason it's known as one thing. Like, like if I ask someone, if, if my phone, you know, I, I have a very similar phone to, to him right now, except mine's pink. If I asked my wife to go grab my phone from the other room, she's going to bring me this. She's not going to take it out of the case and bring just the phone. Right. <laughs> and the reason is because my wife is not a fucking moron like Jordan Peterson. Also, not for nothing, it was pretty funny that he is actually human and uh, like a normal person because I don't know if you've ever had the experience where as soon as you take your case off of your phone, maybe to clean it or whatever in your new kitchen, you immediately, the first time you've dropped your phone in six months was right, right when you take the case off. Like that happens to everybody. That's the, that is a very, that's the, the most humanizing thing I've ever seen Jordan Peterson do is what we watched right there. <laughs> yep. 
But yeah, you're right. If, if, I'm glad but, it fell on carpet. I, I don't wish him any harm, and I don't wish harm to his iPhone. Uh, or like another example is like your backpack might have some stuff in it, and you say, hey, could you bring me my backpack? Well, nobody's, they're not going to empty your backpack out. <laughs> yeah. Literally no one is going to empty out your, like there are certain things where like, you know, if I said like, uh, can you get the the PlayStation out of the other room? You know, someone might bring the PlayStation and not like the power cord for the PlayStation. And that's perfectly reasonable because those kind of are two things. And if I don't specify it and like the, like if someone grabbed both those things, then they consider them one thing. And like, that's why it's just because they identified like, that's why Jordan, that's why that's the only reason why. Yeah. And so, um, and then another question that emerges out of that is what makes two cell phones in the same category? Mm-hmm. Okay, so l- let me. What do you mean? What you just said? You just what? named what they are. Yeah. They're two cell phones. We label the them same. as cell phones. It's like the, the, you just called them cell phones. They're in the same <laughs> <Yeah>. category. <laughs> this is by you. Sure. Tell me what you think about that. Okay. So I think that why are these two things that I've given put in the same category for the sake of simplicity? Why are they in the same category? Like. <laughs> Because they might be two different cell phones, right? But you look at them, you're like, that's a phone. Yeah, and it's just what we label them. Like, <laughs> like functionally, sure, they, they have the same function. But like, if you, if you took someone who didn't know what a cell phone was and, and you took two cell phones that look like different things to them... And you ask them, are these the same thing? Are these in the same category? Then they might say no. And like, that's why, Jordan, just because we assign those categories. We are the thing that you're wondering about. We're the cause. Us, human beings. And I mean, if somebody showed me one of those old briefcase phones, like an old car phone, and showed me an iPhone and be like, are these the same thing? I'd be like, well, kind (laughs) of. Yeah. (laughs) It's also kind of. But I, and in the end, I'd go, no, because one of them is, I would put, you know, I'd be like, well, now that I think about it, your iPhone is a computer more than it's a phone. And so it's not the same thing as a car phone. <laughs> Things are one. First of all, they're one if you can use them for a specific purpose with a specific sequence of actions in relationship to a given goal. But they're interspersible, so they're the same if you can replace them functionally in the same pattern of operations with no transformation of the path. Yeah. So, so I mean, I feel like everyone, everyone knows like the difficulty of like categorizing things, right? Like everyone knows that that's difficult. I mean, I feel like if you didn't, you learned it in 2006 when like the, whatever organization was is like you know what we don't consider pluto a planet anymore and a bunch of people were like well how dare you i really like pluto i consider it a planet and it's like yeah it's hard to categorize things because like pluto is more similar to jupiter than it is to me but pluto and jupiter are not really very similar things right I mean, I guess not, but 
I don't know that that's that's like a highly specific example. It's not like a thing like phone. <laughs> yeah, but like yes, categorizing things is hard. Yes, that's I feel like again, this is something that like you learn by like 8 years old. I'd say categorizing things can be hard and it sort of depends on how detailed the categories you, you know, you're you're uh just you've put out there are. Yeah, well, I, I would say, <laughs> like, how far human down, beings suck at categorizing things. How far like, down the, the right how far wing, down the line are you in your game of twenty questions? <laughs> the right wing can't even figure out what a woman is. So the same because they're functionally know. equivalent in relationship to a goal, not because they they share a set of features. Mm -hmm. So anything that's swappable is the same. Yeah, but that is dependent on a teleology. It's necessarily dependent on a teleology. Yeah, I mean, this is the. This is the, um, this, and this is not a criticism. This, this is a classical notion of multiple realizability. So I can have the same program, Excel, and I can run it on many different machines. So the actual physical instantiation. But those machines are all called computers. They're in the same category. <laughs> you can't run it on a potato. We have a category. What if it was a really smart potato. I don't. You think Dan Bedondi could fucking do a spreadsheet? <laughs> as long right. as I'm getting the reliable same generative model, as, I, as long as I, I've got the same formal system running. That's why you. That's in fact, you don't think that there was one pattern, one program here, and one program there. Think about it. We think about this abstract entity, a computer program, or even a file. You can you move it, yeah. And yeah, you move like yeah. what what space are you moving it through? Like the languages come so readily to us. Yeah. You're doing this thing where you're moving it from one computer to another uh, because of exactly that. Because you say, oh, the generative model here and here, there's no, and this is a, an important qualification. There's no relevant difference. Uh, yes. Between them. Like like for example, this one might run a little bit slower on this computer than here, but if it doesn't impact but that doesn't mean it's a different there's no difference in the program. The difference is the fucking computer. They're the same program. Yeah, but I do get what he's saying and I do think like this is an interesting topic of like, you know, we we take things that are uh the instantiations of them are very different. Sure. Uh, like, for example, Excel runs differently under like uh, an x86 processor than it does on an ARM processor, but we still call them both the same thing. And yeah, that's that's interesting. That's an interesting topic. But I feel. Like I mean, is it though? Um, to a certain extent, it's much more interesting than what Jordan Peterson was just talking about. <laughs> Say someone came up to you at like a cocktail party and wanted to talk to you about the, the difference between Excel on, uh, uh, x86 computer and, uh, arm computer. I don't think you'd really want to talk to that person for very long. I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I have some very, <laughs> very, uh, Eclectic, is that the word? Tastes? Uh, <laughs> of of top you should see my YouTube history. <laughs> oh, you can use it, mm -hmm. right? Then I'm then, I'm especially interested in uh yes. in uh, wanted, instruction set architecture. So I might have a field day in that on that conversation. A bit more. I, I recently published a paper with Brett Anderson and Mark Miller 
on integrating the relevance realization framework and the predictive processing framework. You, you want to do entropy reduction, but if you, if you look at network theory, you, 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 and, and the way you explain it in terms of path reduction is really important. But also, so I do want to say, none of this has had to do with entropy. That, to, to be clear, they're trying to define entropy, and none of what they're saying has to do with entropy. Kinds of networks. Networks are just ways in which things are connected, like sequences, or, or the way an airline is connected, or the way the internet is connected, or the way neurons are connected, functional connectivity. So thanks for telling us what network means. I fucking was wondering. Network, <laughs> fucking <which> idiot. <laughs> nodes are just things that are connected. You have all the all the connections are just one step away, node to node, right? And then there's what's called a random network, is where you can have long distance connections, very long distance yep. connection, right? So I don't have to fly, you know, from Savannah to Atlanta to blow. I can just fly directly from Savannah to Toronto, something like that. Wait, how is that a random network? <laughs> That's not random. <laughs> you know exactly where you are and exactly where you want to fly, and the plane takes you there. I think that's called a reservation. I think it's called buying a fucking plane ticket. Yeah, and and airline flights are absolutely not random. Right. It's not like you take any random air airports in the world, and the likelihood of there being a flight between them is the same. Right. They're None of this very is random. much not random. This is, all very, this is all very much planned out. We found out in the recent weeks what happens when the planning doesn't go so well. Yep. So the regular network is highly inefficient. The way you measure efficiency is called mean path distance. You take all the distance from all possible combinations. How many steps do I have to go from this point to that point? And then you take all of them and you average them together. You get the mean path distance, the average path distance between any two points. In a regular network, it's very, very, it's very, very high. You have to go through a lot of steps. And a regular network is one where they're all connected. Uh, they're locally. all local connection. It's, yeah. So when you look at it, it looks beautiful. It's highly ordered because yeah. and all the lines are the same length and everything. And, and, and but it's highly inefficient. Right. The, the, the random network is highly efficient because you have a lot of these long-distance connections that collapse your path. No. Those connections were put there on purpose. Yeah, it's, I mean, depending on what he means by efficient, sure, he might be right. But most of us, when talking about a network, aren't talking about a hypothetical network in which nothing really matters except how many nodes we have to pass through to get to another given node. Right, and not for nothing, <clears throat> computer networks are probably more efficient because of there are nodes that we the data passes through which are which are powerful and have the ability to mm -hmm. communicate with other nodes at much higher speeds than my computer could connect you to, maybe to your computer if we had to run an ethernet cable from san jose to fucking, to fucking <laughs> san diego yes i'm i'm quite happy that computers aren't just randomly connected to each other right, that would be fucked up you ever played you ever done a chat roulette <laughs> That would be a very inefficient inter internet. And <laughs> yeah, it's this guy means something very specific when he's talking about efficiency. And it's not what anyone else means when they're talking about efficiency of an actual physical network in the real world. Right. Yeah. I think what you said about like the consequences of like the network are almost like missing from what he's saying. Like, 
what is the network trying to do doesn't exist in what he's saying yeah. here, essentially. <laughs> right. You're, you mean path mm. distance. But you don't, the brain doesn't go for either one of those. Mm -hmm. Because there's a trade-off relationship. As I make the network more random to make it more efficient, which sounds like a contradiction in our terms, but it's not. Yeah. I lose, I lose, I lose robustness in the system. So think about it. When you're when when you're when you have a lot of these little connections, they're often there's lots of redundancy. Right. Yeah. And so I can lose a lot of stuff, and I get graceful degradation. I only get a small reduction in yeah. my functionality. Yeah. I have this random network. I can take out one link, and entire nodes can become isolated mm. from each other. Right. So that's the danger of, of efficiency versus redundancy. Well, yeah. And so what you want, what what the brain does is what's called small world networks. Yeah. So a small world network is mostly regular, and then one or two long distance connections. Yeah. So I pointed this out before, and and, and, and is that associated with with the manner in which the cortical columns organize themselves? Because there's there's a lot of micro connections within cortical columns that are very fast and efficient, and relatively sparse connections between yeah, cortical yeah. columns. Yeah, yeah. The, so, the cortex, by the way, the cortex is made up of these cortical columns, which are uh, replicated units of about, I think it's 100,000 neurons each with yeah. 10,000 connections so, per so neuron, it, something like that. And then that structure is replicated. That makes up the cortical sheet. So, I mean, everything we're talking about right now is, 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 is in one sense controversial. There's lots, I, I'm not saying anything that- I mean, I, a lot of good I think it's stupid, but that's different than controversial. We're relying on technologies that are still like fMRI and dense EEG that don't give us the kind of precision. Like, so I, I want to say that I'm not saying anything ridiculous here, but I, I don't want to- I think you're the way he described networks, <clears throat> at least <clears throat> because you and I, rely on robust networks for everything we do and every possible way that we make money. Like the way that he described a network was actually fucking nonsense. Yeah. Like imagine, imagine like you need to drive down the street to a, a seven 11, but the, the best path there, instead of passing several houses along your way down the street is to go instead all the way across town, but you don't pass a single house on your way and then all the way fucking back and you only pass one house along the way or You've only passed one house, therefore more efficient. Or what if you just try to drive there in a straight line, no matter what's in the way. <laughs> <laughs> Subject to revision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But it looks like the brain is organized at multiple levels of analysis, not only top down, but back front and in out um, in small world network formation. And, and here's some really interesting things. So you give somebody uh, propofol and you take them into unconscious, the brain will go from being a- Jordy Pete's like, that. I'm riveted now. It'll break up into small <laughs> local regular networks. And then as you bring them back into consciousness, it'll go from those local regular networks back into a, a comprehensive small So Carhart-Harris Wait, wait that sounds like experimenting on a fucking human being and it sounds very unethical, sir. Um, maybe. I, I think he's, he's not talking about harming anyone. ...and consciousness. And so how do you understand... Oh, totally, totally, yeah. Okay, so how do you understand the relationship between... So... 
Carhartt, Harris, and other people, and I talked about this in MAPS. Range right make on the, the edge of criticality. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes, and yeah. It, it's on the border between chaos and order. That's totally, the technical. Totally. Okay, so how is that related? Uh, how do you okay. understand the Where's the dragon? Connectivity. It's great. Okay. And then, and then I want to bring it to a phenomenon of insight because insight has that combination of initial surprise yeah. and then long-term gain. Yeah, yeah. We talked about Is earlier. it long-term or iterable gain? It depends. I mean, you can have... Why are they? Why are those have, distinct? I mean, you can have a systematic insight. You can have a kind of... Insight. Something iterative doesn't, isn't something that's iterative necessarily giving you uh, gains over a long period of time. That's what iteration is. It would eventually, yeah. If, <clears throat> if it was all gains. I mean, that's essentially how, like, evolution works. That's how fucking computers... Oh, that's how networks have worked. They've gotten iteratively, iteratively better over time. Yep. <clears throat> how technology works. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what he's asking. I'm not sure, like... So, they went from... Let me explain this about entropy to now let's talk about experiments where we're making someone unconscious and then we go, oh my God, look, the two halves of their brains aren't talking to each other like they do when they're awake. Wow, that's so unexpected. Insight that Piaget talks about. I would expect an insight that. Into this problem. It's an insight into a system. So, yeah, of, yeah. Of, or you can have just an insight into this problem, like the mm -hmm. nine dot problem. And it's just in the future, you'll know how right. to do that. One. And the, the first insight would be a deeper insight than the second. Yes. One. This, and that's like a technical definition of deep. Yes. Yeah. Which is a fun thing. That's something we should talk about too. Is what We're just going to leave that one alone. Something to be deep. Okay. So back to consciousness and, and network organization. Right. Okay. So we talked about small world network. Um, and so what the brain seems to be doing is, and the, especially the work I've done recently with Brett and Mark, um, it's not just redundancy. The brain is training between, and this is helpful because it's now too easy, between efficiency and evolvability in the technical sense that's coming out of biology, which is, the term is degeneracy, but I don't like to use the term degeneracy because it means degenerate away from a, because when, when the average person hears that, it's yeah. like, degeneracy, what the hell? Wrong connotations, <laughs> man. Yeah, bad naming, bad yeah, naming. Yeah. So but we could find Jordan Peterson calling someone a de degenerate if we were able to like search his audio on his on his channel. But <laughs> is you, you, you want enough redundancy and overlap? I think he's talking about the brain like starting off with tons of connections and removing the connections that it doesn't use. Just very quick. Uh, you have I think the that's what he's talking about in biology, which is you want a lot of variation in the species, but the, you, you don't want to be the individual that has the variation, right? Uh, because you're going, chances are you're going to get killed, right? So what you do is you you uh, and this is the work of Andreas uh, Wagner. You you at the at the at the level of uh, of the genotype, you have quite a bit of this uh, degeneracy and overlap and evolvability in right in the in the genome, but it doesn't show up in phenotypical differences. So there's not significant behavior. But as soon as there's a change in the environment, the genome is ready to shift mm -hmm. and produce a new, uh, a new phenotypical behavior. Mm -hmm. So th th that's what Do you what know I that the older the, um, the, older the, 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 the gene structure that codes for morphology, the less likely it is to avoid correction if it's mutated? Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's a relatively new finding. Eh? Yeah. So it looks like even at the, at the mutation level that biology will 
will play with the fringes but leave the center intact. So mutations are- Is that a new finding? occur anywhere in the genome, but if it's a fundamental- I feel like genome, we, we knew that pretty much immediately, right? Didn't we? I, Didn't I, we weren't we immediately like, I, oh, this thing is shared through like all animal species. So when when we change it, uh, the thing dies. the 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 animal that we changed that dies. Correction systems replace it back to exactly what it was. Yes. So I think that's analogous to this issue we're getting at in terms of optimized learning. You know what? This is as good a place to stop it as any. I think we are going to continue this on into red light, though, because <clears throat> as frustrating as the conversation is, I'm sure having a lot of fun goofing on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So far, they have attempted to describe entropy and failed miserably twice. Uh, and and they have come nowhere uh, to to transcending time and space. They've they have maybe with the last few uh, bits of their conversation, they transcended eighth grade. I think they've reached <laughs> high school level now. Uh, but, so but, they're they're talking about maybe high school level biology. And by the end of it, they might end up at like stoned in your dorm room talking about weird philosophical shit they might get yeah. there they might get there <laughs> anyway i'll read this show out thanks everybody for tuning into the intellectual dollar tree on the podcast if you want the rest of the show you can get the audio and video at patreon.com slash echoplex that's five dollars a month that's not very much money also i'm not actually paywalling it you can just email us find a way to get a hold of me i'll be like here's a link to the video um Make sure you're following us on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia. Um, make sure you check out our other shows. Just go to echoplexmedia.com slash podcasts, or you can always check out what we're doing every night except for Monday live. And um, I don't know. There are other ways to get the replay of the show if you don't want to pay us via Patreon. If you know how to click around Twitch, you can find it. This is Boomers by Periscope. When we come back, I will have a cocktail. The lights will be red. And uh, unfortunately, the content that we're consuming will not have changed. <laughs>